This podcast is sponsored by Dream Diet. Oh my god, I've had many wonderful experiences with Dream Diet. It is an amazing biotechnology company that helps you dream via eating tasty food. It has been believed that the type of dreams you have is not only connected to your subconsciousness, but also to the kind of food you put in your stomach. And this is where Dream Diet comes in. How Dream Diet works is that you will talk to a psychologist about what type of dreams you wish to dream during your sleep. And then you will be connected to a nutritionist who will create a list of food you need to eat in order to have the type of dream you want. Then Dream Diet will produce the food you need and ship them directly to you in a box. Do you want to dream about having a vacation in Hawaii, lying down on a beach? You might have to digest a lot of strawberries and fish and smoothie mixed with leaves and sand. Do you want to have a wild dream where you are the superhero saving the city? Your nutritionist will probably advise you to eat turkey meat mixed with steel and gallons of milk mixed with the rubber. Do you want to have a sexy wet dream? Well, I do. Well, then I have to eat oysters mixed with Chinese mushrooms and silicone lube. Because I want gay, sexy wet dream. I want silicone lube. Dream Diet has helped millions of people dream the perfect dream. You don't want to miss it. Now use the promo code Oliver to get a special formula to dream about Ryan Reynolds. This commercial is created for entertainment purposes only. The product that was advertised does not exist. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Gay Intimate with Oliver Wong. I'm your host, Oliver Wong. All right. Okay. Cool. So today we have our wonderful guest, Jessica Porter. She's my good friend. She is a stand-up comedian and actress, and also a hypnotherapist. And yeah, hypnotherapy sounds really mysterious, obscure, but it actually is not that mysterious. We are gonna talk about it today in our episode. And of course, I just love talking to Jessica Porter. She's so smart and so intelligent. Our conversation also talk about you know human relationships, sex, romance, all that jazz. It's really, really, really um. Informative and also entertaining. You guys will love it. Okay, before we get into the episode, I just want to answer a few questions that I got on Instagram about my adult film director career. Okay, so the first questions that I have here is: How actors stayed hard all day? Well, technically, the actors do not have to stay hard all day. The only time they really need to stay hard is probably about. I don't know, two hours, maybe. Yeah, at least on my shoe, you don't really need to stay hard whole day. But I know maybe at some other shoe, you might have to stay hard a little longer. It really depends on the type of shoe you have. However, some male actors they do take Viagra or use Trimex, which is a injectable, uh, Viagra. I I don't know if it's. It, The same ingredient, but trimix is basically an injectable that you can put in your body, and then your dick will get hard. So, uh, yeah, that's it. And here is what I know about uh taking Viagra. So, as a company, we we cannot ask the male talent to take Viagra because because Viagra is a prescri- prescription drug, and as a company, we are not allowed to force anybody to take medications. 
So if the male talent they wanna take medication, he ha- they have to do it voluntarily. Alright. Second question. Do the actors hate each other and have to fake it the entire time? I'm not sure if the actors they hate each other. I mean, it never really happened on my set before. But it does happen sometimes that the actors they meet each other the first time and then they have to fuck immediately. <laughs> so uh well usually if there's a situation, they will do a little chat, try to get to get to know each other so it doesn't get too awkward. Yeah. Next question. As a gay man, what is it like to direct straight porn? Uh people ask me this a lot. Well, to be honest, I don't feel a lot about this because I also watch straight porn sometimes. Uh, I watch the guys when I watch straight porn. So I don't mind seeing straight sex in front of me. I still find it pretty arousing. And uh, as a gay man, what is it like to direct straight porn? If I take if I look at this question a little bit more carefully, I would say I am trying to create a type of pornography where female audience will also find a pleasure in. Because as a gay man, the, the, the way I see sex is a little different than straight men. Sure, gay people, we have filthy sex. But also, I think gay people, on some level, they feel different. I don't know. And I, 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 and I have such empathy for human beings. I mean, it's so weird for me to say this. But I do have a lot of empathy for people, for straight guys, for straight females. And I know in a, in a lot of pornography, straight females, they are portrayed as a tool for straight men to have sex with and I don't like that. I think I want to see female talents also enjoy the sex I have uh, in my videos. Yeah, and I try to reflect that in the story that I write. Most of the female characters in my pornography are empowered. They, they usually also want to have sex instead of just the male wanting to have sex. The female under my Script, uh, uh, independent, strong woman. I mean, it sounds a little cliche, but no, it actually is not. They, 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 they take charge. That's what I'm trying to say. They take charge and then they also seduce the man. It's not just the man seducing the woman. It's both ways. It's two-way street. There's a lot of sexual tension here. All right, next question. Do you ever get turned on or even tempted to join? Well, they are having straight sex, so I'm not going to join. But do I ever get turned on? Uh, no. Well, sometimes I will feel a scene is pretty steamy and hot, but I will never have an erection. And here's the thing. It still works. We just want to finish the work as soon as possible and get home. We don't want any interruption. We don't want to get aroused because it's just going to, you know, slow the process. <laughs> Alright, okay, that is the answer I have for this week. That is the questions I have for this week. Thank you so much for all the people who ask me questions. It makes this podcast much more entertaining. Alright, please, 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 don't forget to follow us on social media. Get Intimate Podcast on Instagram. Also, follow me on 
Oliver Wong comedy. Let's get in chimney. Let's get in chimney. Let's get in chimney. Let's get into it. Alright, oops. Okay. Now, why don't we officially start this podcast, Jess? Let's officially start this podcast, Oliver. Yeah. yeah. Hi, Jess. Welcome to my casa. Thank you. <laughs> I love your casa. Are you, are you like it very, very I smart. do. I'm proud of you. Are you proud of me? Yes. <laughs> For what? Because I think I, I you know, alone. <laughs> I I grew up a relatively in a relatively affluent family uh-huh. and it took me a long time to have to and then achieve like taking care of my own needs yeah and i think it's a big deal when someone does that i feel for you and i didn't really know how to take care of myself when i until i came here when i was 23 because uh-huh. when i was living in taiwan like my parents they are really cuddly and they're right. so protective right. I, I don't have the pressure to survive yes but when you are alone in the country, you are like, oh shit, nobody's helping me. I need to survive. I don't know if you, in your experience when you first came here, do you feel that, oh shit, I need to fight for my life? No. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I remember when I graduated from um, a, a graduate school like six years ago or five years ago, I was like, shit, I need to find a job. I, otherwise, I, I will just die. Well, yeah. I mean, that as scary as it must have been is a great thing because you responded to it and you survived. I didn't have that need. Like I was, my family continued to take care of me if I wanted them to, or this, I mean, I inherited money that like kept a cushion in my life for a long time. And it never forced me to do what you were forced to do. And it's a great thing. So when I say I'm like proud of you, it's like, this is a reflection of your work in the world, your creativity, your ingenuity, and your just ability to get shit done. Yeah. And I appreciate that. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when I came here, I only had two luggage. So sometimes I look back at the time and then compare it to what I have right yeah. now. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's not about having stuff per se, but yeah. but this is a materialistic world in a capitalist society yeah. and to just pay your own rent and yeah. have a lovely safe place yeah. in los angeles that's your own yeah. is i think an accomplishment and i think it's when you first moved from canada to here did you have any friends in the u.s i went to university yeah first thing yeah and no no I, no i made friends at university but university is designed to help you make friends and hook up yeah <laughs> and hook up yeah exactly i didn't do much of that but yeah. Some. yeah yeah um but yeah that's where i made most of my friends at first okay i see yeah because when i first came here i didn't have friends but also the language barrier was an issue yes. for me yeah yeah i mean a whole different thing for you i was coming from canada that's like sliding through a side door you know what i mean yeah. same culture basically same language and it was a, an adjustment. I yeah. mean, the United States is different from Canada, but yeah. the but those subtleties get presented over time. You were like smacked with differences from the get go. Yeah, because it's this huge difference between Eastern culture and Western mm-hmm. culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the way people connect is so different. Yeah, the way people what connect is oh, so different. Interesting. Like, like how? Uh, this is a little 
uh, I think you would probably have to live in Asia for a long time mm-hmm. to experience it. But I feel like when I was in Taiwan, when people chat, we try to ask personal questions. Mm-hmm. But I feel like Americans, they would think that it's a little invasive. So I feel like Americans, when they are chat, they are stacking information about themselves. What do you mean stacking? Okay, so for example, if I if in Taiwan and then I told you, hey Jess, I went I went shopping yesterday. I bought this T-shirt, and then a Taiwanese person will probably be like, oh really? Where? Why did you need a T-shirt? Do you like it? Oh my god, where is it? How much is it? For what occasion? Mm-hmm. But I feel like Americans they will probably be like, oh my god, I love that T-shirt. I also went to that shopping mall a few mm-hmm. days ago. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And it reminded me of a shirt I bought mm-hmm. from Etsy or whatever. I feel like Americans they tend to stack information about their experiences instead of asking mm-hmm. the other person about their experiences. Interesting. I don't know if that's true. I'm sure there are always exceptions. Yes, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, cultures are so interesting how different they are. I think, yeah, America is an interesting place because it has its own psychology and it's, it's, there aren't rules about it per se, but there are generalities that when you live here for a long time, you can start to see the generalities of it. Yeah. And Canadians are much more sort of codependent and people pleasing and about the group and not about the individual. So we're not all the way to Asia in terms of being collectivist, but we're more collectivist than the United States. Right. And it's sort of rude to talk too much about yourself in Canada. Mm. <laughs> Whereas here it's like, that's what you do. Yeah, here's you what know? you do. It's like your job as an American to like know yourself. Yeah, yeah. Then did you experience culture shock when you are in the US school? Cause I did, cause in Taiwan, Taiwan students, they really don't talk during class. When teacher asks any kind of question, it's usually rhetorical. Like the teacher was like, the teacher would be like, does anybody have any questions? Student will be silent. Uh-huh. But student will go up to ask questions after the class ends. That's in Asia or here? In Asia. Because uh-huh. uh-huh. I think Asian students, they think it's kind of rude right. to ask a question in a class because we will be like, what if nobody is actually interested in my question? What if I'm the only person? So it's not an insult to the teacher that they haven't taught well enough that you have a question. That's no. not the problem. That's not an insult. It's no. that you're worrying about what other people are thinking. Yeah. You are worrying that your question is boring. Interesting. You are worrying that you are the only person who has this question. Whereas I think here, the question asker is like, look, I'm totally awake and engaged. Yeah. Look at me. I'm asking a question. Yeah. Yeah. And... I don't know about European, but I read somewhere. I think in Europe, if you ask questions, it could seem... Or maybe the way people ask questions in Europe is different. They're, 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 I think from what I read, people in Europe, they would challenge the teachers in class. Interesting. But I think it would be considered really rude to challenge teacher in the US. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it depends on what you mean by challenge. Like, yeah. I went to a very good university, and it was... I don't know if it was encouraged that we challenge the teachers, but it was very much encouraged that you would get into a discussion on yeah. the topic. Like that was part of learning. Yeah. Was to, you know, wrestle with the information and yeah. not just not just swallow it whole. I have a question. I don't know if this is a Western culture thing or just a US thing. So when people are giving feedback, 
I noticed that American they tend to do this sandwich style. They will say positive feedback first, and then negative feedback, and then wrap it up with positive feedback again. <laughs> But in Taiwan, we don't do that. We just give you negative feedback. We just point out what right. is wrong.、Right. We don't compliment you. No, I mean I've heard that. Would you say? I, would you say that's true in Japan? I. I think in Japan, I don't know, but I know in Japan the criticism is still wrapped in a really convoluted yes, way. Yes, that's what I mean.、Yeah. I, I feel like Japan puts everything in a pretty package. Yeah, maybe not everything, but there is the I think the cliche or the generalization about at least the mainland Chinese that is sort of brusque, and、yeah. there's no, there's no. Cushion, yeah, to reality, and I've heard. I mean, I've heard people actually say that that in in China, like people are very direct, very very direct, yeah. Because I think we feel it's fake to just compliment. Yes. yes, yeah. So you know, like in the U.S. class, sometimes teacher will be like, "Oh, this this script is really really good, and I like it. it's amazing," but and then they,、right. people will also be like, "Okay,、right. you need to pay attention why it's happening after the but." Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's also like a parenting style. I think it's, you know, the whole. Have you ever heard of Maslow's hierarchy of、yeah. needs? Okay, so we're not in survival mode as cultures anymore, right? You know, and was... when you're in survival mode, it's you don't you don't have time to to front load with a compliment. Yes, you know what I mean, it's、yes. just like get off the street. Yeah, you know, there's a gun. Whatever it is, you know,、yeah. like you're more direct, and 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 it's not about you. Because survival mode is by definition collective. Yeah, you know, like if you're thinking about society and Maslow's,、uh, uh-huh. you know, hierarchy of needs, in the survival mode, you wouldn't have polite, slow, patient. It would be like, let's do this together and let's not fuck around. Yeah. Um. But as a society develops, gets richer, it gets more autonomous. Yeah, and you, individualism starts to rear its head, and and America, even in its survival level, was had a very strong individualistic bent. Yeah, so you know you've got Western individualism plus a very rich culture. So you would move up the hierarchy of needs to the place where it's about. Self actualization、yeah. and not about survival,、yeah. and that requires a different form of communication. Yeah, like you know, like America, they would they will teach you, oh, just don't care about how other people think of you, just be yourself. Those kind of mentality, it rarely happens in Taiwan, at least. Yeah,、oh, same in Canada. I mean,、yeah. and I think it's absurd to say like,、yeah. what other people think of me is none of my business.、Yeah. I think that's. Extreme. That is extreme. I think you don't have to hinge your self-esteem on other people's opinions about you, but you need、right. to be aware of other people's opinions. Well,、yeah. and I just think it's、yeah. like the way it gets said here is almost psychopathic, where it's just like you know, and this is an Eastern idea. Yeah. But we live in this paradox of being individuals in groups. Those are both realities. Yes. They're both true. Yeah. In fact, without the group, the individual will die,、That's、and、true. without the individual, the group will die. Yeah. So, to not be sensitive at all to what the tribe is doing or thinking, yeah, is weird yeah. to me. I'm not saying you have to take that information and put it first. I'm not saying you have to take it even seriously. 
but to have no sense of what other people like to, to completely boldly dismiss other people's opinions just seems odd to me. It seems really, really odd. And I don't think people who don't care about other opinions actually don't care about other opinions. I think they... Although some people are that self-centered. Yeah. They're, yeah. they're, they're, they're rare, but there are people who are that self-centered. I wonder if it also because America is such a diverse country with such a vast land. And then it, it, it kind of forced people to feel we are not a tribe. Because if you are in Asia, if you are in a country where the majority of the people are kind of similar culturally, or maybe the appearance are similar, it will just subconsciously make you feel yes. like you're a tribe. Yes, absolutely. And I think, yeah, because yeah. America, in, in the way we know it, so post-Native Americans, meaning like, you know, as of 1776 or the 1500s when there was colonization happening, yeah. that America wasn't held together necessarily through race or language even. Yeah. I mean, although English was spoken most of all, but an idea. Yeah. I mean, that's what holds America together is a set of ideas. Yeah. And what's scary these days with like social media and uh, Trumpism and all of that is that even those ideas are eroding. Mm. And that's scary yeah. because America isn't a race. It isn't a language. It isn't a class or a class system. It's freedom. It's freedom. Yeah. 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 And yeah. when freedom starts to get interpreted differently by different people or not respected or I mean, again, it gets flipped. Well, here's the whole thing about whatever. We can talk about freedom right now in a whole other context about the vaccine and people not wanting to get the vaccine, calling it freedom. And technically that's correct. But it's like, even within all this freedom, America still has to have some collectivist you know, behavior yeah, yeah. or it doesn't work as a country. But social media is wrecking that too. Yeah, It's really interesting to be alive right now because I feel like and I feel like every generation sits there and thinks, oh, God, this is the end. Like, I think that's part of being alive. But I really do think that the Internet has done a serious, serious number on Western culture and democracy specifically. And we're watching it happen before our eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so I think for me a lot of information that we are getting right now is all from the internet and especially social media. <laughs> yeah. And then they somehow shifts like how you view the world. It's like uh how do I explain this? Cuz I think a lot of information that we get from social media is fast it's like fast food is clipped so mm -hmm. it's hard for people mm -hmm. to get a full context of an event mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then uh it makes you at least for me it makes you you feel like a lot of events are not connected but they are actually connected mm. because like when you saw instagram story and then you see like this piece of news and you will just look at this piece of news as an individual news but if you are looking at a newspaper or whatever, you feel like, oh, while this is happening, there are so many other things are also happening at the same time. So it's all connected. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I'm just saying I'm so addicted to social media right now. I don't even really read news anymore other than New Yorker. <laughs> yeah. See, it's funny. I'm the opposite. I am really 
yet again admitting to myself that social media gives me profound anxiety. Like I have a natural repulsion to it. Like my nervous system just goes, no. Mm. I was even talking to a friend last night who's like so into TikTok. And she's like, I'm just going to send you some TikToks. And she had sent me some like months before. Yeah. And I'd never opened them. And we determined when we were talking last night that I'd never opened them. And I was like, listen, Lynn, this has nothing to do with you. Yeah. She said, understand that when I send you a TikTok, it's because I think it's worth looking at. And I said, I get that. But to me, to open that TikTok is to open an entirely different world. And like, I'm into creating my world. Mm. And I don't mean that in like a weird controlling way. I just mean vibrationally. We only have one life. You know what I mean? And I want my vibe. I want my ride to be as good as possible. And when I let in some random person's TikTok or worse, 12 of them in five minutes, we were talking earlier about being introverts. I'm such an introvert that that like fucks me up. Yeah. And I don't want that all day. I don't even want it once. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm the opposite. I'm not addicted to social media at all. In fact, I go to great lengths to avoid it. And I read the New York Times every morning. Wow. So I get, you know, the at least the New York Times's window on what is considered news. Yeah. And my sister actually works for the New York Times. And I've heard from her the behind the scenes, like, lengths that they go to to fact check. Yeah. The numbers of editors on any given story. I mean, there's this New York Times is still a viable news organization and albeit tilts left. It's not crazy at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. About as middle as it gets these days. I I know this sounds gonna sound like an excuse, but I was not addicted to social media until I started to do stand up. Cause uh again, I know this is an excuse, but it's also kind of true because uh as a stand up comedian, we are responsible for promoting ourselves because we are unknown stand-up comedians. Mm-hmm. So we post fly on social media and stuff. And then as we get more gigs, we need to, you know, go on social media more. And then you just kind of sucked into that world. And then I I'm not saying I'm enjoying social media. It's just something that I do now and I try to cut down. It's it's like going to the gym, social media is just something I do. And then I recognize it's harm, but I also recognize it's benefits. It just need to balance it like one of the benefits that i found about social media is that i think it gives people especially minority people at a disadvantage position to let people see their opinion voices because mm-hmm. i think like the new york times new yorker all those social media those news outlets they are perfect i love them i read new yorkers but in order for you to be interviewed by a New Yorker or by a New York Times, you need to at least have some reputation mm-hmm. platform. platform. But if you are just a nobody, mm-hmm. but if you have a story to tell, you can tell it on TikTok, on mm-hmm. Instagram or mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. And I like That's that. True. Yeah. That's true. It's and a great, the great leveler. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's really bypasses all what we used to call the gatekeepers yes. of the media. Yeah. 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 But do you have any tips for me to cut out social media? Um, I mean, it's so hard. You know, the first thing I wake up is to check my Instagram. I'm embarrassed to say that. Well, I'm yeah. sure you are one of billions yeah. that does that in the morning. Yeah. And 
I am very, very grateful that I have this like nervous system aversion to it because I have demonstrated an addictive personality in many other ways. Mm. And there's no reason I don't have it for social media, yeah. except that I just don't. Yeah. What, what other things do you feel addicted to? Well, like I've been addicted to sugar. I've been addicted to marijuana. I've been addicted to caffeine, yeah. you know, just kind of everything but alcohol. Yeah. Um, I just have a, a brain chemistry that like likes what it likes and it likes repeating what it likes. Mm. So luckily I don't like social media. Or I'd, I'd never get off it. I thought about this. Don't you think human beings that just have to get addicted to one thing at least in order to function. I do know people who are not addicted to anything. Really? Yeah. yeah. But I feel like you could be addicted to exercising, but we wouldn't say that is an addiction. We would say that is a good True. habit. I, I agree with you that most people yeah. probably have something or people or things on which or through which they get a sense of security. Yeah. Like whether it's their relationships. A lot of a lot of people are addicted to relationships. Codependence. Yeah. 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 And um and there are religious people who are addicted to God. So right. yes, no, there's <laughs> addicted and to we're God. all leaning on something. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's that's how we function. We 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 need a center. Yeah. But I mean the true addiction in the truest sense is that you're so dependent on the thing that you continue your dependence long into it doing damage to you. Yeah. And that's not true of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, watch porn? Uh, a little. A little. Mm -hmm. For pleasure? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think... But I don't... I can't say I get pleasure from it. I Like, in other words, to stimulate me to masturbate? Yeah. Yes. Okay. But I can't... I wouldn't call that necessarily... I don't, I don't think I get pleasure from porn. Yeah, because I... I was debating if I am addicted to porn, if I'm addicted to sex. And I talk about this with my therapist. And just like you said, addiction is when one thing you, you are obsessed with is so much, it starts to destroy your life. Mm -hmm. And then as a person, I'm, I'm 29 and then I'm a gay man, young, and then I'm sexually active. Like, Naturally, I will think about sex a lot. Naturally, sure. I will want to watch pornography a lot. But mm -hmm. I just don't know if it actually destroyed my life. So maybe I'm not addicted. Maybe I'm just being a human being. Right. And I don't know if right. that applies to any other thing. Like you are addicted to sugar or uh, marijuana or whatever. And then sure, those things are bad for you. But that's also part of being a human being, I guess. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think when it comes to porn and porn addiction, yeah. Asking a 55-year-old woman to compare notes. Yeah. The 30-year-old 30, 30 gay man. Yeah. We be, would have very different experiences yeah, yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, And, uh, you know, I think the average sex drive of the average guy anywhere between 15 and 40. Yeah. Is so wildly, wildly stronger. Yeah. Than a woman's. Yeah. That it would all look like addiction to a woman. <laughs> but it's just normal to a man. <laughs> And, you know, what's funny is that before, I mean, maybe I'm naive when I say this, but like before the Internet, you only had so much access to so much information. Yeah. And it came through, you know, magazines, television, books and the people in your lives, the experiences of your life. Those were the portals. So you couldn't like call up this like library of all knowledge yeah. available to you at all times and full of data. 
So in a very real way, I didn't know just how driven by sex men are. Mm. Because not only did you not have like a third of the internet churning on pornography all the time, but it was something that people kept to themselves. Mm. Whereas now we all know that like a third of every hit on the internet or whatever it is, is sexual. Yeah. And everyone's open about it. Yeah. So you know that the average guy is like seriously distracted on some level and maybe would have been in the 70s as well, but by thoughts of sex. But now they can be acted out on. Now they can look at him on his phone. He can, you know, uh, interface with pornography anywhere in his life. Yeah. And that's depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Sally, I'm, I'm. In this industry, <laughs> I feel like I'm contribute to negativity to this world, but I don't no, know. No, no, no. I don't know that it's yeah. necessarily the product itself is, although some pornography is very negative and yeah. hurtful, but it's not so much the porn that is depressing. It's just that male sex drive is so strong. And I think we were all, especially women, slightly in denial of that. And then you mm. have on the other side of this, you have, I mean, maybe mothers knew that, maybe wives have known that, you know what I mean? But did they know it about all men? And I certainly, as someone who wasn't married and didn't have kids, was kind of shocked to, and and it's 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 not depressing morally. I mean, who cares? It's just a physical function. It's depressing energetically. It's like, really? Like I find sex, like when I'm horny, I don't find sex boring at all. But just the I like the continual discussion of sex in the world. It's like really, guys, there's nothing more interesting than that. You know what I mean? Like, couldn't we talk about like a work of art or a book or something? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like I just because it's a purely physiological mechanism. Yeah. It's like I'm like I'm breathing. Oh wait, I'm breathing again. Oh my god, I'm breathing. Do you want to hear about? I'm breathing again. Yeah. It's just like. It's boring. Yeah, yeah. I I understand. Yeah, I think I don't know about straight men. I don't know how they view sex. But as a gay man, a lot of gay men we view sex as a recreational activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's just something we do, and we don't mm-hmm. feel bad about it. And then there's something just like mm-hmm. drinking tea. Mm-hmm. And uh, is it depressing for me personally? It is depressing for me when. I feel I'm not desired. Mm -hmm. But if I'm having sex with somebody, I would feel desired and that would make me feel good. And I Mm -hmm. rarely, rarely feel lonely after sex. Mm -hmm. I always Mm -hmm. feel satisfied. So I guess that's why it creates and like keep wanting more sex loop. Because every time I finish sex, I feel good. But I don't know if that is the case for women. Because I feel like, I don't know. It's you. We probably know like for women, not every time you will orgasm and then not every sex experience is that positive. I don't know. Well, and you got to understand that women are driven and governed by their emotions much more than men. Right. And when a woman's stimulated physically, she starts to secrete mad amounts of oxytocin. Yeah. And oxytocin is a bonding hormone. Yeah. So for a woman, a sex experience being, quote, good 
requires much more context yeah. than whether she orgasms. Yeah. And much more context. I mean, so, you know, it's funny. Women will say like, oh, I can have casual sex. Or, you know, I, I had a, a guy friend many years ago. I said to him, like, women can't have casual sex. We can do it once. We can have a one night stand and like detach. But once you have sex with a guy more than twice, like two is kind of the, you know, dangerous no, uh, number. Oh, shit. Women start to bond. Yeah. And get interested in creating a relationship around that sexual energy. That's just how we're wired because yeah. we have to take care of babies. So yeah. it makes sense that that would be part of the mix is right. that it's more social and more protective and more like, let's take this into the future yeah. than just fucking. Yeah. So this guy called me up and he's like, yeah, I met this girl and she says she can totally, you know, have casual sex. And I was like, well, she's saying that now and she believes it now because her oxytocin hasn't started getting stimulated yet, but she's fooling herself. Yeah. And sure enough, like three weeks later, he was like, fuck, you're right. You're right. Like she's into me and now she's getting clingy. I was like, yeah, she's a woman. Oh my God. She's a and this whole idea no. of someone being demisexual, you heard that term? I heard. Yeah, demisexual is like, I have to be into you emotionally before wanting to fuck you. It's like, yeah, it's called being a woman. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's called being a woman. So I think gay men, and yeah. I think straight men could do this too if they weren't dealing with straight women. Yeah. The capacity to have casual sex makes perfect sense because test you don't secrete as much oxytocin. So testosterone on testosterone, which is two gay men, yeah. that's a but that's a party. Yeah. Let, that's fun. Yeah. And and you can walk away from it really yeah. easily. It's like crack on marijuana. <laughs> yeah. It's like what on marijuana? Crack and then marijuana. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. I wonder why we are designed like this. Like I just like in terms of evolution or biology, why we are designed like this, there must be a reason. And then somehow, well, because the society has been progressed and we are in the modern civilization, but in ancient times, there, there must be a reason why men and women are designed like this for survival reasons. But right now, survival is just not on top of our mind anymore. Right. So it doesn't really make sense anymore. Right. But the evolution is just not catching up. Yeah, it takes yeah. a long time yeah. to change something like that. Yeah, yeah. And sure, I mean, back in the day, you didn't have that many people. You needed men to inseminate lots and lots of women. Because it was so easy to die when you are yes. in yes. the forest. Life was, yeah. life was cheap. Yeah. yeah. Do you believe in, or not do you believe, like, would you consider yourself more monogamy or polyamory? Oh, monogamous. Monogamous. But I have such a bad track record in love <laughs> and sex. Like, it's really horrible. What do you and mean a bad track? Like, well, what I just happened? mean yeah. I have picked people who were wildly inappropriate. Like, uh, I'm attracted to people who are just... Psychopath. I don't... Well, sometimes. <laughs> but I don't fit with them on almost any other level. Yeah. But I will be attracted to them. Mm. And then I'll start a relationship with them. And then nothing on any other level works. I see. And that's... So... But I know from my own experience that when I do get attracted to that individual, I do start to have those oxytocin feelings and I do bond. And I think I think most women are monogamous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of think polyamory is um, heaven for a sex addict and a love addict. Really? Yeah. I mean, like it's it's a perfect design for I mean, I think it it, it serves men better than women mm. in lots of ways. Um, Although true 
polygamy, like multiple marriages mm. where there's one husband and several wives. Yeah. I can see how that would serve the women too. Really? Yes. Huh. Because A, women don't have the same sex drive as men. Yeah. So one man might want to have sex five times a week and then say he has four wives and everyone else is getting it like 1.25 times a week. Yeah. That would serve the woman. Yeah. Then you have this team of other women. And women not only secrete oxytocin with their lovers, but they secrete tons of oxytocin with other women and with children. Mm. So to be with other women, provided you get along with them and share the burdens of the child rearing with them, mm. that's an ideal situation for a woman too. Mm. Matt, Matt offer a different opinion here. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I'm not in any polyamorous relationship, but I know a, a few friends who are polyamorous and I did a little research. I even interviewed one of them. And then I started to understand where they are coming from. And I would consider being in a polyamorous relationship now. But basically... I think just like any other kind of relationship, every relationship is unique. Every relationship has its own limitations, rules, advantage, disadvantage, whatever. So like for this friend, he said he thinks the reason why he believes in polyamory is because it's too much pressure to think that your partner has to fulfill every mm -hmm. single mm -hmm. needs of yours. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you would sense. you would need at least two or three people because maybe this person doesn't like hiking but you like hiking so you, but you don't have know. to fuck them you don't have to so every, every <laughs> I mean, that's called friendship <laughs> but fucking is also a way for people to build connection yeah, yeah i mean yes yeah. but not everybody like yeah the, like to think that you can't have a connection with somebody until you fuck them yeah that's what i mean it's like the purview of the sex addict or yeah. the love addict because they're Band bandwidth yeah. of relationship is hypersexualized. Yeah, and so to them to have, I mean, I've known people like this to have a relationship with anybody, it eventually becomes sexualized because that's what that person brings to the table. Not everyone brings that to the table and can have a perfectly meaningful relationship with somebody without sexualizing it, and that tends to make the relationship less volatile. I agree with you. But also in polyamory relationship, it doesn't mean you have to have, let's say if this polyamory relationship involves three people, it doesn't mean you guys have to have sex with one another. Sometimes you can discuss and be like, okay, uh, Jess and Oliver are just going to be platonic, platonic romance, just like what you said. We, that's called friendship. That's called friendship. <laughs> but... So, okay, so I guess for you, you think in order for romance to exist, sex has to exist. I think that's the definition of it. Really? Interesting. Yeah. Don't you? I mean, I, I think I, a romance I, is a, a, a friendship that tips into a zone of sexual attraction. Uh, yeah. But a lot of married couples, they don't really have sex anymore. That's true, yeah. but it started there. Yeah, it like started that there. Bond is there. Yeah. And here's the other part of the discussion which never enters yeah. the conversation which is we bring to the table in all of our connections, our souls. Mm. Now we don't even have adequate language for this. Okay. Yeah. But you're bringing an entirely unconscious self that is connected to all of nature and all of the world. And 
It's your energy essence. Okay. Mm. It's below your personality. It's your animal self. Mm. And it's more than that. It's a soul. So for lack of a better word, in more traditional cultures, that soul part of us would be serviced yeah. by religion, spiritual practice, or meaningful participation in community. Yeah. When we have a lover, our soul comes to the table too. Mm. And sex or lovemaking is an opportunity for that soul to interact with another person's soul. Yeah. And there's a magical alchemy to that. And it's one of the reasons marriages can last for so long or, yeah. or be so volatile yeah. is that it's opening up to this profound level of forces mm. way beyond our control. Yeah. So sometimes when I hear people describe their polyamorous philosophies, and this is true of most discussion of romance, period, by yeah. the way, not just polyamory. Yeah. It's devoid of an understanding that you're bringing the soul to the table. Yeah. And it's not that easy to do that with several people at once. That can become very complicated mm -hmm. because those are volatile, deep, forceful relationships. And you better be mature to be able to handle all of that energy. That is true. Yeah. Otherwise, you start, you're just treating people like things. Mm. Okay. I can see where you are coming from. And I, I do not disagree with that. Yeah. Uh, as far as I know, like this friend that, uh, who is polyamorous, he, he has, he's, he had, he's in a four people relationship right now. But from what I can see, not everybody is as committed to this relationship. Because some people, like, I think there's this, one guy that he's dating is a little more elusive emotionally. Mm -hmm. So even though they are romantically involved, but he's just not that invested in this polyamorous relationship. Mm -hmm. And it works for them because this person still wants romance, but just doesn't want as much mm -hmm. as all, all mm -hmm. the other people. Right. And I think it happens a lot in pol uh, um, monogamy too. Is one person is more invested, but the other one is not as invested because people are different. Mm -hmm. But if you have maybe three people or four people, it will bring in a different kind of balance. Because mm -hmm. some people, if you are not able to get the amount of attention, you, the love that you want from A person, you can get it from B person. But the A person, when the A person wants love and attention, the A, the A person can come to the group and the group will support A. I think that is the philosophy. But the person, the friend that I have, he also mentioned that he doesn't agree with all polyamorous relationships. He, he thinks sometimes he disagrees with some aspects. But I think just like monogamy, monogamy is different for each body. Right. Yeah, and yeah. everyone's, I mean, we're all charged with like exploring ourselves yeah. and what we want and yeah. what works. I just think we've gotten into a conversation around like sex and gender and relationships that is bordering on confusing mm. because it doesn't take into account our souls yeah yeah that's 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 what's driving the bus yeah yeah and uh we actually as human beings have to take responsibility for that level of being in ourselves yeah and it's only when we take responsibility for that level of being in ourselves and 
process it in healthy ways yeah that we can be a healthy value added to any relationship then it becomes about what i'm giving yes and less about what i'm receiving exactly because i'm receiving all the time from source mm. and i put those in air quotes yeah. like whatever you want to call it nature yeah. the universe the quantum field yeah like that's the primary relationship yeah and everything else is gravy and icing and beautiful and like myriad symphonic expressions of life yeah gorgeous vital but when i'm looking to like oh i have to have three boyfriends because only one of them likes to ski and the other one's into music and i have to fuck them all in order to get to be mirrored fully yeah it's like get your mirroring elsewhere it doesn't mm. you don't necessarily need to sleep with somebody to do that now but if that works for the person great right all i'm saying is i don't think it would work for me for 10 minutes do you do you believe in marriage i saw my mother get out of two marriages mm. like my parents uh split up when i was 18 months old and then she got divorced again when i was like 15 and then i saw her get into a great marriage in which she died um but i have never once in my entire life had excuse me a wedding fantasy mm. not once not even when you are dating a man that you really like no no like did i actually sit and think of the details of our wedding mm. no you have never wanted to get married either I couldn't give a shit. Really? Oh, I mean, like, I, I'm not saying that as a judgment. Yeah. It just is literally not on my radar. And again, I think it's because I just saw my mother get out. Yeah. I saw, and you don't, you don't leave a marriage casually. Yeah. You leave it because a part of you is getting crushed mm, on some level, mm. you know, whether it's through abuse, which it wasn't, or just disconnect. Yeah. You leave because you need to. Yeah. So what was imprinted on me was live your life and listen to yourself as you live your life. And if marriage come on comes along, great if it's good, but not great if it's not good. Yeah. So I never saw it as some sort of panacea, and I never ever judged myself according to whether I was married or not. Mm. I mean, so many women are prone to that, and I just. My mother was a feminist in the 70s. She was like, Jesus, it's so not about getting married, you know? <laughs> very, very interesting. So would you think it's okay for you personally to have babies without getting married? Oh, sure. But I would never want to do that. You, you, don't, have you don't want to have babies either. Yeah, well, I'm yeah. too old right, to have right, babies right. now. You didn't want to have babies. I thought, <laughs> I actually assumed that I would have kids mm. just because my mother was a very loving person yeah. and I've, I like children, but I never, so I just kind of assumed it would happen and then it didn't. And then it didn't. And then it didn't. And then when I was 35, I had to say to the universe, like, if you need me to be a mother, I finally feel ready to do that. And I have a lot of love in my heart. So set it up. Because becoming a mother is not hard. Mm. Becoming a mother could be going out to a bar one night. It's that easy. You know what I mean? Like becoming a mother is not Do hard. Do a stand-up comedy yeah. show. <laughs> right. And like have, the get drunk afterwards. Um, so at that point, I'd been into like a spiritual practice for 12 years and knew that if I, I was opening myself to the possibility of that and saying, 
like organize it. Yeah. Send the guy or, yeah. or the experience. But if you don't need me to be a mother, mm. just keep me interested in life. Don't make me somebody who regrets having not become a mother. And so story number two unfolded. And I was not meant to be a mother in this lifetime. And I believe me, I'm not, I don't terribly believe in past lifetimes. I mean, I do, but I don't. It's like, you can't prove it. Yeah. But during my 30s, I taught hypnosis for childbirth mm. and I attended 55 births and I helped hundreds of couples, you know, prepare for childbirth. So I feel like during those years, a lot of my maternal energy was really exercised. Ah. And I love that. Yeah. And, but I've never looked back and thought, oh, I wish I had a baby. I'm, I'm, I don't think I was meant to. I don't think half the stuff I'm saying today, I would have had the presence of mind to even think had I been taking care of children. Taking care of children is, for a woman especially, like so completely determined by the needs of that child every second of every day. It's like you lose your life. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean you don't get another life that's full of joy and meaning and fulfillment. Yeah. But it is fucking black and white. Like you're in. Yeah. You're in. Yeah. And I don't think I would have taken that ride very well. Mm. And I took this other ride where I made my spiritual life my baby and the thing that I grew. Yeah. And now in my 50s, I'm like, wow, I'm experiencing the fruits of that. And I just mm. took a totally different ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love my friends who are moms. I love my sisters who are moms. I love their kids. Yeah. And I really, really mean that. Yeah. And I have mad respect for parents, yeah. especially mothers. But it just wasn't meant to be for me. And I have no problem with that. Let's take a break. Be right back. Get Intimate with Oliver Wong is sponsored by Job. Just off the boat credit card. Dear immigrants, this product is a must have. Having credit card debt is the American dream. Woohoo! As an immigrant, I wish I had the job credit card when I first arrived in the United States. Just off the boat credit card is designed for new immigrants who have no social security number and no credit score. To apply for a just off the boat credit card, you cannot live in the US for more than one year. Because if you live more than one year, you should just get an Amazon Prime membership like what a basic American would do. The only supporting document you need to provide is your birth certificate. And don't worry, just off-label customer service speaks all languages except English. They will know how to correctly pronounce your non-standard American legal name. If you don't have anything but a designer clothes on your back, the Just Off the Boat representative can interview you and determine if you are actually a fresh immigrant. They will ask questions like, what is AliExpress? Or what's the difference between Shake Shack and Burger King? If you don't know the answer, you are most likely someone new to the United States of America. Don't try to lie during the interview. They have a lie detector and can see right through your accent. Or as I was told, just off the boat credit card offers many benefits. You get 10% cash back when eating or shopping in a business owned by an immigrant family of your home country. I'm from Taiwan, which means I get 10% cash back at almost all boba tea shops and some massage parlors. If you spend $500 in the first month of opening the credit card, you get 100 hours of free English as second language lessons taught by 
who? Barack Obama. Because now he's not a president. He needs a different gig. He needs to keep himself busy. Well, well, well. Now use the promo code Oliver to get just off the book credit card without the first year annual fee. By the way, the difference between Shake Shack and Burger King, Shake Shack attracts more gay customers. It's much fancier. It's like the Louis Vuitton of burger restaurants. You go on dates at Shake Shack. But at Burger King, well, you go there to use the restroom. This commercial is created for entertainment purposes only. The product that was advertised does not exist. I like when you said that you your maternal energy was exercised through you know, childbirth experience. So I think that somehow I'm not a female. So I'm just making assumptions. It's like, I feel like we all have some kind of energies or sexual energy. Becoming a father, want to have sex, we want to become a mother, but we just need to find ways to exercise mm-hmm. those energies. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, it's just like, have you heard of this movement? No fab movement. No. Just no masturbation movement. Oh, okay. Like this a bunch of guys it's kind of sizable organization and they're just like trying to encourage men not to masturbate yeah. because they it's not because they think masturbation is unhealthy no but no. like move that energy a different way yes mm-hmm. and uh i can see that happening because i don't know about you like when i'm writing scripts when i'm writing books if i'm really into the process i can feel my dick wanna get hard Mm-hmm. But of course, mm-hmm. my dick is not hard. But mm-hmm. I feel mm-hmm. like same I, energy. Just something is going on with my body mm-hmm. viscerally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I'm exercising my sexual energy to somewhere. But if I release it through masturbation, it's just gonna be gone, and then I'll just like, you know take a nap after masturbation and instead of creating. Right. right. Yeah. Well, women and men are different in this respect. Yeah. Um. First of all, I just want to say you're in incredibly articulate for somebody who's only spoken English for so Oh, long. thank you. You are incredibly articulate. I'm very, I'm always embarrassed about my English. Ah, thank no, you. you're, you're a very, I mean, you speak English better than a lot of native speakers. <laughs> I know. Um, they say, and I think this is a Chinese medicine thing. I mean, yeah. like for men, that energy is Jing energy and to release it, yeah. not, not sharing it with a partner, not committing to what they call the microcosmic orbit in Tai Chi, which is that force are like when you release it into another person, and this is, I'm going to talk about straight sex. I don't know what Chinese medicine thinks about gay sex. Okay. But in a male and female dynamic, you have, it's like two magnetic poles. I mean, and together they make a strongly charged entity. Yeah. So when the male Jing is released into like female energy, it's actually moving in a way uh, that's very different than just masturbating in a way. Yeah. And the woman nourishes him emotionally and spiritually. Yeah. So, but they say that male masturbation, you know, release is depleting to a man, mm. but masturbation to a woman actually like is not as depleting now compulsive masturbation in any i'm sure is depleting yeah but just an orgasm to a woman actually gives her energy Mm. more than it depletes even through masturbation yeah apparently in your personal experience do you feel lonely or depressed after each masturbation no i feel fine you feel fine tired okay Mm -hmm. because i think as a man i don't feel as guilty anymore but i remember when i was a teenager when i had when i had to study and i want to masturbate 
I would feel so guilty after each masturbation because I'd be like, fuck, I, I, I'm not studying, I'm masturbating. But what we don't recognize is that, hey, masturbation is one way to exercise those energies. Maybe it's not the best way, but it's the most convenient way that a teenage boy sure. can think about. Well, and a yeah. teenage boy is like, I was re I read these two books that changed my life completely. Called one is called the female brain and one is called the male brain, and every human should read these books. And they're by mm. this San Francisco professor um, and doctor named Luann Brizendine. Anyway, she talks about the male. So if you imagine a nine-year-old boy having one cup of testosterone in his body, now it's not actually one cup, but imagine one cup. By the time he's 15, he has two gallons. Like that's 32 times more. Yeah. Like, and so, yeah, that's 32 times more than, I mean, that's a, a huge load of energy into a teenage boy's body. And yeah, yeah teenage boys are out of control and girls don't understand that. Mm. girls don't understand that i do a lot of like trying to educate women and i do some of this in my stand-up around like i don't know who i would be in a man's body i might be completely irresponsible with testosterone i think yeah. it would be a difficult hormone to manage yeah it is it is it i mean and women have some yeah but nothing like you have 10 to 100 times more than i do yeah uh, I don't think I heard of this and I don't think it's an exaggeration. So he said, everything that men do is because they want sex, but they don't get it from real sex. So they have to do other things, right? be successful in business, have a good right. career, make good money. Because all those kind of stuff is attract sex. A, yeah. In direct way to yeah. get sex. Right. right. Yeah. Otherwise, why would, why, why do men want to? become like a provider right yeah no? yeah well and it used to be that yeah. a man had to get a job wear a suit and take a woman out and for many many for most of human history put a ring on that finger before you get any yeah so there were a lot of like maturation milestones that had to be met before you started having regular sex yeah. and regular sex was the prize. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. now you have like 14 year old boys getting blowjobs yeah. in high school yeah. by slutty little girls who think that that's how they're going to get a boyfriend, which yeah. is the exact opposite way of getting a boyfriend. Yeah. And it's really, when I say slutty, I really mean, I feel for those girls. They've yeah. been, they've been hypersexualized mm. by the culture and yeah, women are not driven by sex in that way. We're driven by relationship. Yeah, yeah. And like deeply so. Whereas if you want to stress a woman out, if you want to stress a man out, what you do is you either threaten him physically or you threaten his status. Yes. So lose his job yeah. or something or his reputation. Okay. Yeah. That's how you get a man upset. Yeah. Get a woman upset by destabilizing one of her relationships. In other words, if if you were my girlfriend and I said, well, Anita says that she doesn't like your haircut or, you know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. as a Gossip. woman, yeah, you yeah. would feel this like shiver. Like, and take if it's take a serious thing, yeah. Yeah. if it's a serious thing, like yeah. not just about the haircut, but yeah. like Anita doesn't like you, Anita thinks you're Validation. fake. Validation, yeah. Yes. Withdraw the oxytocin hit. Yeah. That yeah. like as a woman, you obsess on that for days. Yeah. So 
that's how different we are. Yeah. And it's not just different. It's actually opposite. Yeah. Like everything. Um, this is what's so interesting about men having like governed medicine and stuff for a long time, because there's a ton of projections onto women that they're just like weak men. Yeah. You know, but we're actually physiologically the opposite. So a lot of sex psychology and sex research has both at first projected onto women. Like there's this whole idea that women like fail to orgasm during intercourse or that women don't orgasm enough and what's wrong that women aren't orgasming enough. And if you're as a woman, you sit there and go, you know what? There's like several days of the month where I don't even want to orgasm. Mm. Like my whole biology doesn't want to go there. Like give me a massage, right? like whisper in my ears, make me dinner. Like that's as fucking like, that's what I want. Hold my hand, listen to me. Right. And then even in the window of time where I do want to have sex, I'm not actually physiologically always aiming at an orgasm. Yeah. There's pleasure. I mean, Freud called women polymorphously perverse, yeah. which is a, an, an unfortunate name for like experiencing arousal and stimulation all over the body. Yeah. Men's stimulation the is the dick. Yeah, it's and the it's dick. like specifically under the the the, 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 tip. the tip. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's like the most sensitive place. Yeah. And men basically are just holding their breath till you get there. Yeah. Whereas women, you know, could have an entire lovemaking session that never culminates in an orgasm. That's very satisfying. Yeah. So what men do is they take their own template for sex which is it's not sex unless i come right and they project that onto a woman yeah and then they produce all this pressure on the woman to come and guess what the worst thing you can do to a woman to come is produce pressure yeah that's the exact opposite of what's Very, required yeah yeah and when you're talking about all those sex or relationship research i think i believe the most research are done by men yes yeah correct. and they are filtered through a man's lens yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah, yeah yeah i know a female friend she said she doesn't orgasm when she has sex with her husband but she enjoys the sex still most yeah. women don't experience orgasm during intercourse yeah they experience orgasms for women who do have ex- orgasms which is most yeah manually or orally or digitally yeah. like in other words you can make a woman come, but the actual penis penetrating the vagina, unless there's stimulation on the clitoris, only a certain percentage, and some people say it's as low as five, and some people say it's as great as 25% of women can come all the way to an orgasm just through um, intercourse. Mm. I never have, and I, but I have no problem with that. I mean, like, yeah. I'm in the majority. Yeah. And, and the pleasure that one gets from intercourse is completely different than clitoral stimulation. Like, mm. I don't know if a gay man gets this and I don't know if we want to keep all of this in here, but whatever. He's okay. Um, but because I don't know if the anus and rectum are in any way energetically similar to the vagina, uh-huh. but as a woman, to be entered by another person and to completely release energetically into someone else's life force entering. Yeah. That's its own trip. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with an orgasm. Yeah. yeah. And it's, it's heady. And when, when someone says like, 
I wrote this in my book, The MILF Diet. Like when someone says he fucked her brains out, mm. it's because women's energy energy systems are governed by upward, outward releasing energy. That's our thing. Mm. And so when we're stimulated by another person in intercourse, it like drives that energy up. It comes out our hearts. It comes out our throats. We have to make noise as it's yeah. happening. And ultimately, if you relax, your brain just clears. Yeah. And you get your brains fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. But the stimulation of the clitoris is almost opposite because it's young. It requires like intensity and focus and patience and like, go, 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 go. That's very different than releasing into like the wave of having someone fuck you. Yeah. I think for, 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 for men, when we are having anal sex, uh, the only pleasure that I get is when a guy hit my prostate. Right. Right. But I don't right. really get much pleasure from the entering. From the yeah, I don't feel anything from the entrance other than just something is fucking me. But I don't get any pleasure. Yeah, and we need to use a lot of lube and whatever. And yeah, and I think some yeah. women, I think some women aren't necessarily relaxed enough around sex to get that yin pleasure that I'm mm. describing of the release and the letting yeah. go and the allowing. Yeah. I think it's that's because they are ne nervous or. Yeah. Yeah, or oh. self-conscious yeah. or too too focused on their clitoris and yeah. too focused on this is what should be happening right yeah. now. So, but energetically, that's available. Or maybe because women. the men were putting too much pressure yes, on the woman yes. to orgasm. So right, they couldn't right, relax. Right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh. We talked about a lot about sex for like one hour <laughs> and relationship. But I really need to get into uh you as a hypnotherapist. Okay. Yeah. Let's brief spend i don't know 20 minutes hopefully my first question is uh i think you talk about this in your podcast as well a lot of people they would not know what hypnotherapy is they would think it's like you know magician trying to hypnotize you and trying to manipulate you mm -hmm. so i just want to you, you know maybe explain to our listeners what's the difference between magician hypnotism and yeah. hypnotherapy well hypnosis is a totally natural state of mind that we go in and out of probably hundreds of times a day. Yeah. And it's basically interacting with your own subconscious mind. And your subconscious mind is not some locked box. It's your memories. It's your imagination. It's your habits. It's just kind of your deeper operating system, but it's available to you. It's So the magician and the movies are all working on this sort of misconception or cliche that you know, there's this like secret Oliver and I can get at that secret Oliver without Oliver knowing and I can force secret Oliver to do things. And all of that is bullshit. Mm. Um, you hypnotize yourself all the time. You don't know you're doing it, but technically you are. Mm. Any daydreaming, any self-talk, any sort of come on, let's go or just certain thoughts are basically self-hypnosis. And all hypnotherapy is, is making that process more conscious mm. and helping the client like develop their own good self-hypnosis, but also to go into that repository of memories and emotions and help the client release the blocks to feeling good, to loving yourself, to achieving your goals. Like we can get you know, our machinery could get like gummed up by trauma, yeah. by shitty belief systems, by bad parenting, yeah. you know, and we can go in and heal that. And then when that's healed, 
then you can sort of like shoot straight arrows in the world and achieve your goals and be able to tune in and listen to yourself really clearly. Okay. Uh, I you don't need to give me a free session, but I'm just wondering how <laughs> how does a session usually goes? If you, like, do we? Because you know, I've been to therapy before, but I've never you know see a hypnotherapist before. So I wonder, like, what would be the difference and similarities? Yeah. Well, first of all, we talk for a long time yeah. because the hypnotist needs to get to understand like the lay of the land. Yeah. So if there's like minefields in your childhood or in your experience, I need to know about them before we go in there. Yeah. Then I would take you into like profound relaxation mm. and I would do mm. a little trick which stimulates the hypnosis, which it's not that I don't want to talk about. It. It's just very boring. You actually... There are little ways of tricking people to engage with their imagination and to mm. sort of get them out of their critical mind. Mm. So I do that, take you into profound relaxation. And then I would just start asking you questions. Um, and as a client said to me once, like what she loved about hypnosis is that it was impossible to lie to herself when she was in hypnosis. Like mm. you just, your truth comes forth. Mm. So in that state, we would talk about whatever problem you had brought me. Mm. You know, we would talk about, let's say, just you haven't said any of this, but let's say you have issues with your dad. Yeah. We would like talk to your dad. Then I might even have you become your dad and have be your dad talking to you wow. and like figure out the energy that's going on that's a problem and change it. Yeah. Um, and have you pull back, you know, your self-esteem, all the people pleasing you've ever done. Have him, you know, admit that, there's nothing you can do to make him feel better about himself. Like you just get to these fundamental human truths and clear away all this, like all these like bullshit energy and your energy, like what's the word, like deals we have going in the world. Very cool. And I, I want to know, because I listened to your podcast, so I definitely know there will be some meditation involved in hypnosis. Mm -hmm. And I, I think there is a reason why people create different words for different things. So I, I know there's meditation and there's hypnosis, but fundamentally, what would be the difference between the two? Yeah. Well, I think of meditation as, I mean, there's two things. There's meditation, yeah. like sitting meditation. Right. And when you do sitting meditation, you relax the mind and relax the body and everything slows down. And you do start to interface with what I would call your subconscious mind, yeah. like sort of emotions flare up, sort of memories come up, yeah. you know, images, you know, you're looking, yeah. your inner movie starts to play. Yeah. But with sitting meditation, you are both in the tent and holding the tent up yourself. You're doing all the work. Oh, it's, I got you. Whereas with hypnosis, the hypnotist is pitching the tent and the two of you go in together and like work on the subconscious mind. What a great metaphor, by the way. Is it? Yeah, okay. it explains everything. Oh, I got, got it, yeah. Now, yeah. there's a different, there's an in-between here, which is what we call guided meditation. Yeah. And guided meditation trips on hypnosis all the time. Like, yeah. you know, guided meditation ideally is a form of hypnosis mm. but a lot of people who do guided meditation don't understand hypnosis enough to do those little tricks to make sure that person is really deep down in the place they need to be sounds like magic <laughs> and i forgot if i read this on your website so 
you know, if we are see, seeing a therapist, usually it, it, it doesn't just take one session. It usually takes maybe a few months or maybe years. Mm -hmm. But for hypnosis, it's usually sh shorter term, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, hypnosis tends to be like almost surgical in its precision. Mm. You know, you're going straight at a moment. You're going straight at a feeling. It's very creative as yeah. well when you get in there and you suddenly realize like oh wow how are we going to handle this yeah but talk therapy you're kind of outside the tent talking about the tent mm. and i think it serves a different purpose yeah i still see my therapist once a month yeah. and and i think it's very very powerful to have another human who is the repository of all your secrets and your concerns and you get to grow with them and you know, they'll show up. And that is like reparenting, you know, yeah. it's like a person playing a role for you psychologically. That's really, really important. But I do think that a lot of talk therapy doesn't necessarily dig down to the places I'm describing, or if it does, it's not as hopeful a process where like hypnotists are just like, oh, you can change anything. You mm. can change anything going on in you mm. and you can make it all positive. Yeah. Every single ounce of it. Someone will go, yeah, but I was abused as a kid. So what? We can change that. Yeah, we can. Yeah. We can. And, and it's very, very positive. Yeah. Whereas sometimes in talk therapy, you get more the sense of like you need to live with that wound and we need to like grieve it yeah. and move on. But it's something that will stay with you. And the therapist, uh, hypnotist, like, doesn't have to stay with you at all. Did you see a hypnotist before? Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I got into it because I quit smoking using hypnosis when I was 20. Yeah. And then later on, I did some hypnotherapy when I was training to become a hypnotist, which was very powerful. Very powerful. Okay, so uh, let's talk about your, your podcast, Sleep Wave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, Sleep Wave is a podcast that you and the other person, the other lady, you guys teach people how to sleep properly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what, what is the, uh, what, what's the word? What, like, what's the gen genesis? Yes. Yeah. What's the genesis of this podcast? Yeah. Well, I was contributing content to an app called Sleepiest. Yeah. And it's run by some very savvy people in the UK. Lovely Ooh. people. Yeah. Um, and it's a place where there's a lot of different narrators and a lot of different content. And I was introduced to them as a hypnotist. And so I was the first person to produce hypnosis content for yeah. Sleepiest. And I think it became very popular because it was effective. Yeah. Like, I mean, I don't know if I'm proud to say that I put people to sleep really easily, but, <laughs> but, but here we are. Depends on the context. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you're falling asleep now, I won't take offense. Yeah. Um, but as a hypnotist, I have over now 23 years, like developed skills around taking people and keeping people in profound relaxation. That's something I'm good at doing. Yeah. So my recordings on Sleepiest were getting a lot of action. Yeah. And then the producers decided to do a, a podcast and Carissa, my co-host, her, her meditations were getting a lot of action too. And they said, will you guys host this podcast? But it's done remarkably well. Yeah. So it makes me just stupidly happy to be yeah. helping people sleep. I mean, I'm a good sleeper. So I know 
how important. I mean, everyone knows how important sleep is. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons I'm glad I never became a parent is because I think I would have been <laughs> rendered like completely useless yeah. with the sleep deprivation. Yeah. Um, and had like you know psychotic breaks and stuff. So, uh, yeah, help people fall asleep. Yeah, I mean, I I think I have little trouble getting up. I don't know if it's because I'm not getting enough sleep or it's because I sleep wrong. Like, hmm. uh, maybe you're just. Have you always been? Are you a night person? Yes. Yeah. I go me to too. I go to sleep at like two a.m. Mm -hmm. oh, well, yeah. so when do you wake up? Here's the thing. I woke up. I wake up usually at seven a.m. and then I feel energized actually, mm -hmm. but. I would know. I only slept five hours. That's not enough. Mm -hmm. So I woke up, I drank water, and I go back to sleep, trying mm -hmm. to force myself to sleep until mm -hmm. like nine or ten. Mm -hmm. But I have trouble getting up, even if I have eight hours of sleep. And I don't know if mm -hmm. it's because I'm not exercising enough, or because I watch computer too much, or because genetically I'm just not. Getting up easily. But when you say yeah. not getting up easily, do you mean like you need twenty minutes in bed to just like yes, lol, yes. lol around? That's totally normal. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's not. Not everyone needs that. Yeah. Like my sister and my father are like morning people. And yeah. You know, and they just like it's the best time of day for them. They're like really productive. They like leap into the day. Yeah. But, and and there's a genetic difference. Yeah. I mean, they also are useless after 9 p.m. Mm. Like they could never be comics. They could never do theater. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm really grateful. I remember yeah. when I did student theater in college, I was like, thank God I'm a night person. Because, yeah. You know, you really not only have to be awake, you have to be on. Yeah. And delivering. Yeah. So for those of us who are more nocturnal and the morning isn't quite as energized an event, it takes me. I hang out in bed for 20 minutes every morning before like doing anything. Yeah. And some people just like some people advocate for naps. You yeah. Know, that that's really good for your brain and really good for your creativity. I've heard people totally champion the morning lull, like the word to loll around in bed. Mm. Like the morning lull is very happy. I mean, it's very healthy because you're actually making a transition through these like levels of consciousness and it's okay to take time to do that i agree yeah because when i'm just lying down in bed i'm not thinking nothing i'm thinking things mm -hmm. i'm thinking of I, I i am reflecting what happened yesterday mm -hmm. what might happen today mm -hmm. so i mean sure i'm not doing anything but my mind is doing something some yeah well in the yeah. state between waking and sleeping that state that we sort of fall into when we fall asleep yeah. and that we fall up into when we awaken is called, is referred to, I'm sure it has several names. So one of the names is hypnoidal. Mm. So it's kind wow. of a natural hypnotic state. Yeah. And I'm glad you use it that way. I think that's exactly what it's for because once the conscious mind really kicks into gear and goes like, go, 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 which it tends to do yeah. after you roll out of bed and have your first hit of caffeine, yeah. you know, it's okay to slowly, There, there's a lot of benefit and value in those other mental states. Yeah. I think it really all depends on the perspective, how you look at things. Like 
Well, because sometimes people will be like, oh, you are snoozing. Like you are not getting up. You are lying down in bed, those kind of stuff. And then if you are thinking too much about what happened, people will be like, oh, you are ruminating. You are not living in the present. But on the other hand, it's like, well, sure, I'm, I'm thinking about the past, but it's because I'm reflecting on the past. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah. one of the great, you know, meditation. Obviously, we sort of aim at it like, aim at enlightenment through meditation yeah. and that's i mean i have a I could talk for hours about what people say about enlightenment but the point is like when you first sit in sitting meditation which i do very regularly and have for decades you know the first 20 minutes is this like sifting and sorting between what happened yesterday and what might happen today i mean you really are just like going through the luggage of your mind yeah and then as you sit and sit and sit and some of that releases and you get like make peace with some of you know i got to put that on the to-do list and that was great and i love that and then finally after about 20 minutes and you tip into the parasympathetic nervous system that's where you can have much more like spontaneously creative um like spiritually charged experiences, but we're meant to reflect on our lives. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> like we're not meant to just go, go, go. We we are not meant to just live in the present all the time. Well, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, what does that even mean? <laughs> well, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, if you yeah. don't reflect, yeah. you're by definition not learning. No, that's called processing. Yeah, that's called yeah. processing. Yeah. 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 Maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know. Just going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, I feel like. American, they really encourage you to live in the present and not think too much about the past. Well, I think that goes along with something that's happening thanks to the internet too, which is like the complete collapse of history. Um, and what I mean by that is, well, two things. The internet itself is like collapsing time. Yeah. So something that happened in 2002, yeah. because it's as Googleable today as it was in 2003, mm you get no sense of the 20 years in between. You know what I mean? Mm. Like that thing, you don't need to go to a library and dig through an encyclopedia and therefore like actually go through the motions that make you s realize that this event is somewhat remote. Yeah. Now it's right there. A yeah. video of it is right there. Yeah. And so we're like collapsing this very precious sense of perspective that comes when you live over time. Yeah. Time matters. Time's a character in yeah. your life. Time like heals things, time helps you process things, time helps, gives you perspective. But the internet is collapsing all of that. Yeah. And secondly, this is not quite as related, but it's a pisses me off. <laughs> and that is that the 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 generation that's been brought up with the internet, which is me, you, millennial. Yeah. Yeah. Um I get the impression, and maybe this is like an old crotchety person impression, but I don't think so that there's really a very, very different relationship to history. Like the internet people kind of feel like nothing, that anything that happened before the internet didn't really happen or wasn't important. I, I see what you mean, yeah. And that's I, dangerous. It is, yeah. That's dangerous because it gives you, it stops you from having this linear connection to previous generations and the development and the very real human development that occurs over time. Yeah. 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 Which is important as a human to have that. And I think, 
I don't know how to solve this problem. I think maybe we need to talk about history more on social media, actually. Because, uh, well, it may be nah. something that happens just in life. As yeah. you get older, you get yeah. more, you sit there when you're 50 yeah. or when you're four, or, or a lot of people when they have children. Yeah. Like when a lot of millennials and Gen Zs have children, yeah. they'll be like, oh God, what were we talking about with the gender thing? I mean, biology is real. Mm. <laughs> like my little boy wants to talk about trucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've never given him a truck. I don't dress him in blue. We've even named him Sally. Yeah. And still he wants trucks. Yeah. And like nine, 99 out of 100 little girls are going to want a tea set and play yeah. with tea. Like a lot of that is biologically determined. Exactly. We, right now, the people driving the conversation that it's not biologically determined haven't had children. Yeah. So yeah. they're like, oh, no, my gender is just an idea. It's just a yeah. thought. It's like, well, <laughs> just wait until you have a child and you'll see that that's not entirely true. Yeah. And that you, within your relationship with a husband, play a radically different role biologically than he does. Like, those are things you don't know. Until yeah, you we know. call those people woke people. <laughs> what people? Woke. Yeah, woke. Yeah. Right, right, right. No, I... But I, I understand yeah. that. And that's, I understand both sides. Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah, a naivete yeah. that I think we all have. Yeah. It's just back in my day, you didn't have an internet to have the conversation on. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're just having it with your friends. Yeah. You would have to publish a scientific paper yeah. to actually have your opinion be out in the world. Exactly. Now everyone's opinion is out in the world. Yeah. So this conversation, which is a natural one to have for a teenager or someone in their early 20s, very natural conversation to have around gender and fluidity and all of that has become the dominant discourse of the whole world. Mm. And it's not the dominant discourse of the whole world. In fact, older people feel like they're being bullied into it and just waiting for you guys to have kids and you'll finally be like, what were we thinking? Thankfully, I don't think I will have kids, but yeah, I see where well, you're coming from. Yeah, yeah, all yeah, that said, yeah. I also want to say like, there is a total spectrum of gender. There of course, is. of course. That's yeah, real. Yeah. It's just not real for the majority. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. Like, doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. Yeah. It doesn't mean we should be in denial of it. Yeah. It just also isn't the central truth for all humans. Yeah. And that's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, thank God for the internet in other ways to bring us more into consciousness around marginalized experiences yeah. and and that's good that's very healing yeah yeah i don't know if this is probably not relevant but i do have to say like just like when you talk about like forgetting the past and then don't don't remember the history those kind of stuff just look at look at around my surrounding like this apartment or the restaurant that i go to every single day the people that i meet every single day we don't really talk about history and there's nothing in my in my environment that reminds me of history Unless I go to a museum, I go to a memorial, whatever. And then I just remember a month ago, I just suddenly feel inspired to read into World War II history. Mm -hmm. I knew about World War II history a little bit mm -hmm. when I was in high school. I knew, you know, the context, whatever, but I don't know a lot of details. Mm -hmm. And then so I just started reading into it. I said, oh my God, there's so much details that shaped <laughs> the current world but those details are not accessible in your daily life unless you actually look into it because there's nothing in your life that inspires to read history which is sad you know yeah i know i mean we really are experiencing right now and hopefully it's about part partially about the ages like you know the internet 
in our daily lives, running our lives, is really only 25 years old. And then the smartphone version of it is only 15 years old. Yeah. And, and so we are in some ways all 15 year olds and 20 year olds because it brought with it an entirely new psychology. Yeah. So hopefully we're just young. Yeah. And we will integrate a more historical perspective as history goes on yeah. and as the people born into the internet get older, because I do believe it's quite natural for many people to become more and more interested in history as you age. Probably, you know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah. At, you start to see, you start to have much more respect yeah. for what people endured, what they had to, I don't know why, but it just, the story of being human and how we've handled it becomes more compelling. Yeah. I didn't give a shit when I was 22 yeah. how anyone before me had done anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I think maybe as you get older, you appreciate more like how difficult life is. Yes, and you want, you want, I think yeah. that's true because yeah. you suffer more. You see how fragile and vulnerable we actually are. Have you sometimes wondered about this? I too, like, I was like, before the internet, before Instagram, before iPhone, how do people make a film? Yeah. Like there's a lot of work. Yeah. Just how do people communicate? Right. How do they send out call sheet? Yeah. What if there is a change in scheduling? Like how do they yeah. notify people immediately? Right yeah. now you just text people. Phone calls. But before everything takes time. Yeah. And, a lot of time. And it actually makes me appreciate more historical artwork. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or you go to Europe. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as familiar as like architecture in in asia but yeah. you go to europe and see a church yeah. that was built in like 1200 <laughs> how did people do that <laughs> and it's still standing yes it's still know? standing and it's fucking beautiful yeah like that's amazing yeah and that's what i mean like if you start to really respect the incremental evolution that has occurred with every generation of human history and the whole, like all the sort of Trump voters that were just like, oh, burn it down. Or even youngins, like the Bernie bros that are like, yeah, oh, burn it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just yeah. like, fuck you. Yeah. You have no respect yeah. for as imperfect as it is, the system as it exists is the, didn't happen overnight. You yeah. know what I mean? And to destroy it, you're just going to be left with anarchy. Like at least work with what is. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, if, yeah. And by the way, it will never be perfect. Like it will never it. be perfect. It will never be perfect. Yeah, yeah. So get over it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jess. I really appreciate you coming to this podcast. Yes. Well, I love that we didn't talk about comedy at all. You? Oh, you want to? Let's talk about it. I didn't know if you want to talk about it. Let's talk about well, it. Well, let's give it a few minutes. Just a okay. Few. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So joke, 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 joke. We met at a open mic. Mm -hmm. At the open mic that I host with Sean Porter, yes. right? My comedy cousin, Sean yeah. Porter. Yeah. yeah, he he's my work husband. How long have you been doing comedy? I took my first well, I took my first first comedy class in like 2001 yeah. in Portland, Maine, and I loved it. Yeah. But I came away from it. I think I was like 37 at the time, and I came away from it thinking like, I love this but I don't want to spend the rest of my life in smoky bars with 27 year old guys <laughs> talking about their dick. Yeah. You know, I it's just, still happening. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, and then wow. now I'm 55 yeah. and why not spend the rest of my life in smoky bars with 27 year olds talking <laughs> about their dick? Like, <laughs> you know, I changed. I changed. Uh, yeah. Some um, so, comedy didn't. 
So you just got back into it, like in the recent years? Like 2015, I think I took my comedy class with Greg Dean, where、yeah. I met Sean. I hung out in that class for a couple years. Yeah. It wasn't until the fall of 2018. Yeah. So three, just over three years ago. Okay. That I went to Flappers and、yeah. auditioned at Flappers. By the way, listeners, Jessica Prota is the winner of. Flappers Uncle Clyde comedy contest this year,、uh, last year, yes, last year. Thank you. I did win、oh、Uncle Clyde's, which、oh、is my, insane. Yeah, and then she won the prize, and she threw a party at his place. I、yeah. did. Yeah. I mean, I love doing comedy. It's、yeah. so much fun. But I actually started going back to class recently and studying、oh, okay. with Greg again because I just feel like I don't. As much as I love being on stage, I love riffing with people.、Yeah. I. Am dangerous to some extent on stage. You know what I mean. What、like、do you, you mean? Have, dangerous. Well, you have no idea what I'll do next. You know what I mean. Like yeah, I, that, yeah, that, yeah, I have yeah. that quality that、yeah. where my weakness is is in the actual writing of actual jokes.、Mm. And even if I never ever want to tell a joke again, I want to get so good at doing it that I consciously throw it away,、mm. as opposed to. Just not being good at it. Why did you wanna tell a joke again? What is the psychology behind that? Um, I just feel like I'm a Capricorn. For what it's worth, I don't really believe in astrology, but it's a way of looking at things. I'm a Capricorn, and one of our qualities apparently is that we don't like to really do something until we feel quite confident in it. Mm. We're not like Gemini's who just like throw themselves around in the world and like get off, get away with charm, and、yeah. you know what I mean, and just like take the risk.、Yeah. And it's a it's a good thing、yeah. that other people can do that.、Yeah. And again, astrology notwithstanding,、yeah. I'm somebody who I like to,、uh, you know, know what I'm doing, and then when I do. And I feel confident. I can really let loose and be powerful.、Mm. But if 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 I know that there's a segment of the whole comedy thing that I'm weak at, that I'm not, I'm skirting around, that I'm avoiding, which is the literal writing of a joke. I mean, I can be funny, but here's the thing: a joke is designed to make a human brain laugh. Yeah, and whether they like you or not. Your joke can make them laugh. Yeah. If you don't have actual jokes, like I said about hypnosis, there's certain tricks to taking a person deeper and deeper into relaxation.、Mm. A joke is a trick、yeah. to make somebody laugh. I'm not that good at crafting those tricks. So what I depend on on stage is that you like me. Yeah. And that's a precarious thing to constantly depend on because you might not be having a good night. You might have a shit vibe. Yeah. Going and you may not be that likable and you may not get away with murder. Yeah. Sometimes I get away with murder. Yeah. But what I'd really like to have is such good joke telling that no matter the mood I'm in and no matter the mood the audience is in,、yeah. you trick them into laughing. Yeah. Now I, it's not like I have no jokes. Yeah, I have yeah. lots of jokes. Yeah, but I don't feel like I enjoy writing them. I don't feel good at writing them, and I don't feel like it's second nature. And I want it to be. Well, first of all, well, I love your joke. I see, I see your comedy. I think it's great. I don't know if like this kind of anxiety about writing is natural for any kind of artist feeling not good enough about their artwork.、Mm. It's like it's like. Natural is like even right now. I've been doing comedy for about three years as well. Like I still get nervous when I get on the stage. You just you just not 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 gonna get over it ever. Yeah, and it's just like uh, uh, 
for me, I always feel insecure about my accent when I'm on the stage. Mm, interesting. And that's just not something I will ever get over with. You need to know that your accent is absolutely adorable, and I think you should go with it. I I will go with it because there's really nothing I can do. Right. About it. Yeah. But it is like so, a signature quality of yeah, yours, and it's yeah. very attractive. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. But sometimes I feel. I am also relying on my personality as well because I think I'm a pretty self-aware person. I know I have an approachable personality. Mm -hmm. I'm not mm -hmm. like cold. Mm -hmm. I'm not a douchebag mm -hmm. vibe. Right, right, yeah. right. So I don't know if when people are laughing at me, it's because they are laughing at my personality or they are laughing at my jokes. I don't know. But whatever, they are laughing. That's fine. <laughs> right, right, right. Because yeah. English is my second language. So even though I understand a joke structure, I know how to write a joke, but I don't think the joke I have is the best way to say that joke. Right. Because there are some language uh, intricacy that mm -hmm. I just don't have. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. But yeah. yeah, I get that. Yeah. So that's your insecurity. That is my insecurity yeah. about like my accent and then my language skills. Yeah. yeah. And mine is yeah. just that. I resist joke writing. I don't find it fun. I don't do it naturally. And, and it's huh. difficult for me to aim at doing stand-up when I resist what the nuts and bolts of stand-up is. So I kind of want to change that. I want to just like start to enjoy joke writing. I want to, like I have to confront that. Do you have discipline to write? Yeah, I mean, I make my living as a writer, as a yeah. freelancer. So I know how to set a timer and force myself to do something. You have no problem focusing if you are writing jokes. Well, no, I will avoid it like the plague. But once mm. I actually decide to set that timer, I'm in. Yeah, yeah. But I still procrastinate like crazy. Yeah, I think there's all writers still. We procrastinate. Yeah, I mean, yeah. as a, like I said, doing freelance work for a book, I don't procrastinate much mm. because there's a deadline and a check involved. Yeah. And you can't fake writing a book. Yeah. Like you have to have done the hours. Yes, yeah. So I'm actually pretty good about that. Yeah. But um, but I'm not as attached to it. I'm not sitting there with the book that I'm writing with somebody else. Yeah. Like it's not my whole vision of myself. Right. It's not my dream. It's not like I want to be at the comedy yeah. store. It's just a job. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I have less resistance. But yeah. the more important something is to us, the more resistance we I, I totally understand. Yeah. yeah. And your standout comedy is is it's important to me. It's, yeah, it's your self-expression. Yeah. You don't want to take it yeah. lightly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But ironically, you should. Yeah. If you want to be a pro, yeah. you got to like show up like a pro. And yeah. pros don't procrastinate. Do you... How do you rehearse telling jokes? Because for me, as a person who speaks English as a, sec as a second language, I really need to rehearse multiple times and then I need to memorize every single word. So for you, do you just memorize the idea? Oh, for you, you also need to memorize every single word in every sentence. I don't rehearse that much. I mean, what I've done in the last like six months was really try and take the pressure off the joke. Yeah. And just riff and see and get some ideas and get some premises and see like where my complaint complaints are, which yeah. is the beginning of a joke. Yeah. Um, so I haven't found myself in like sort of rehearsal mode. What. What Greg Dean always said to us, and he drove it home again and again and again and again and again, which was the most important thing about stand-up is the relationship with the audience. Yeah. The conversation. Yeah. 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 I mean, and if you aren't in that, no word will save you and no joke will save you. Yeah. 
So I've really tried to focus on that. I've really tried to just sit on that stool. I don't even stand. I just sit down and like be. Yeah. And with the material that I know really well, it's just there. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't, I, I, I learned it three years ago and I can call it up. And even if I call it up imperfectly, it's still there. Yeah. Um, with the stuff that I'm writing now, he's encouraging us to memorize by going into pictures, sounds, and feeling. Oh, so you memorize your material based on like, you know, you kind of act it out. You get into the position of every player of it. You like literally get it in your body so that when you're on stage and you're relating to the audience, you just have a picture come up and you go, I don't have kids. And it's not the words. It's everything you've imbued that idea with. And he's like, you just trust the words will come. Now, like you said, English is your second language. and Sometimes a joke is entirely dependent on the words and how they come out and you yeah. can't futz with them. Yeah. And that's a different kind of joke. But some some jokes are more like stories and you better yeah. be like really in the story yeah. in a visceral way yeah. to have it communicate. Yeah. And if you do it that way, it's never boring to you. Yeah. But if it's just words, it gets boring very it quickly. Gets, yeah. Uh, you know, Sam Taha, uh, mm -hmm. who is a Egyptian. Yes. And then Sam Taha. One time we were talking, he and I, we have the same, not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say problem. We had the same sentiment. We are like, we really need to memorize word by word. Right. And, right. you know, before each comedy show, we will have to look at our phones and just memorize, okay, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to say. We just wouldn't be able to be on the fly. We yeah. wouldn't be able yeah. to do as much crowd work. Right. Which, yeah, it's not as ideal, but it's okay. Like for me, I try to tell my jokes. Oh, I think the reason why I'm able to deliver jokes in a really truthful way is my joke is hinged on real emotions. Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. no matter how many times I tell this mm -hmm. joke, I still feel annoyed. Yeah. I right. still feel like I still feel annoyed by the situation, like that thing. Yeah, uh, my parents or whatever. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and also everyone's developing their own way from yeah. their own natural strengths. Yeah, yeah you know yeah, what I mean. And yeah. you know, you fill it over time. If you stick around long enough, you just. You discover your weaknesses and work on yeah. them. Do you do crowd work? Oh, yeah, I love. You love? That's my favorite thing. I know. My favorite yeah, thing. I couldn't do that. That's amazing. Yeah. No, I, that's, that's the best. Yeah. I think when you get on stage, and I've said this to a number of people lately, and some of them just look at me like, what, are, what the fuck are you saying? And that is, you get up on stage, and your job is to love the audience. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And that means being like, funky gay sweatshirt yeah you know what i mean like hey hoodie yeah. man or whatever you <laughs> yeah. just take what it is yeah. and you just love that person yeah and every crowd is different i i'm not nervous getting up on stage i'm super excited yeah like when other comics are on stage i'm like yeah, stage. <laughs> yeah like yeah. that's my stage yeah. i can hardly wait to get yeah. up there and then i just want to devour the crowd oh wow in general, if I feel pressure that like I'm emceeing or this has to be good or yeah. whatever it is, that can tamp down. But if I just have my five minutes to play, yeah. I have such a good time. It's so weird. People can literally feel you are nervous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's something so weird. Yeah. You are the tuning fork of the whole room. Yeah. Like, you determine the vibration and yeah. they feel it. I, I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, you say you study theater, right? Mm hmm. Okay, in college. Yeah. Oh, wow. And afterwards. Yeah. And afterwards. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you have a theater background. Like I didn't really until three years ago. I started doing stand up. 
I was so scared to get on stage. I'm still scared. Yeah. I, just, oh, I love yeah. getting on stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't do that. I, yeah. I, used, I had a long, yeah. I wrestled with that for a long time, yeah. meaning I wrestled with my love of it because I'm like, what are you, a narcissist? Like, so stupid. <laughs> like, the last thing the world needs is someone else on stage. So yeah. I like shamed it. Yeah. And now I just like, life's too short. Yeah. I love being on stage. Yeah. People like me loving being on stage. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, an entertainer should love being on stage. Of course. Yeah. So I try and ride yeah. with that. You, you are definitely not a narcissist. I mean, people can feel if you are a narcissist. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. greedy. Yeah. Greedy energy. Yeah. There's a difference between loving performing and right. being self centered. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're self centered. You're a narcissist. I am a narcissist in a sense. <laughs> I actually wrestle with that too. I'm like, Am I a narcissist or am I just self-observed? Well, most people have a narcissism. Yeah. We all have a self-centeredness that can be ignited by certain things. Yeah. But I don't get you as a narcissist because narcissists are like constantly pulling the energy back to themselves. Mm -hmm. They never are generous unless in the first like six months they sort of love bomb you in yeah. order to like suck you in and then they become self-absorbed again. So I don't think you're a narcissist. I don't think so, but I do have, I, I do just I'm, maybe I'm an introvert. I just reflect on my emotions yeah. a lot, yeah. Yeah. and that would make yeah. me feel like, am I a narcissist? But I don't. I don't think I am. But it could feel like it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm self-absorbed too. I reflect on myself a lot too. Yeah. And uh, I think that's just being an introvert. Yeah. No. Now I'm an introvert. I need to like slink away and be me by too. myself. Yeah. Oh. Do you want people to find you on social media? <laughs> sure. I'm at Jess underscore. Is it underscore? Yes. Jess underscore Porter underscore stand up on Instagram. I like it that you you have trouble remembering. It's, yeah, it tells how much you are not on social I know, media. I know, I know. <laughs> totally. And then I'm on Facebook too, Jessica the Hip Chick. Okay. But thank you. This is really so much fun. I could talk to you all day, like Sam Taha. Sam and I could talk all day every day. Yeah, yeah. Same with I need to interview him too. Yes, you do. He's a great interview. Yeah. And I need to. I'm going to get you on my podcast. Oh, of course. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I have one I'm editing. And I have another I have to edit, and I want you to be a laugh for that. Thank you so much, Jess. Yeah. Wow, there was almost a two-hour conversation with Jessica Porter. It's just so wonderful to talk to her. I feel like she and I, we can talk for hours, for hours, for forever. That's when you know you found a friend. Jess, I hope you are still listening. You are my friend. I just admire you so much. You are so, so, so smart. I feel so dumb talking to you. You're so eloquent, you know. Well, because I guess you are therapy. You have to be eloquent. That's your job, I guess. Yeah. So, um, well, after the conversation, I definitely want to schedule a session with Jess and see, hey, maybe she can help me with my anxiety and with my bad dreams. Oh, my God, guys. I've been dreaming. Of, uh, I've been having a lot of nightmares. Especially like with this particular one nightmare, I I've been dreaming about this big rat under a table, and then this rat just wanna get on my knees, get on my legs, and I just couldn't get it off. And I think it was in a classroom. I don't know why, but I see some of my high school classmates in the dream, and nobody's really helping me to get the rat out of my leg. So I was in this classroom, sitting at my table, and the rat is on my leg. Whew. I think there's a metaphor. There's a metaphor about, I don't know, my adolescence trauma. <sighs> I mean, my high school years were pretty 
good. I don't have any trauma around high school. I mean, I did have a lot of trauma in middle school when I was like, I don't know, 13 to 15. Maybe I should figure that out. Hopefully with Jess. I don't know. We will see. Yeah. Well, that's the episode today. So right now, uh, because of my work schedule, so uh, I'm trying to release two episodes per month. That means I will see you guys in two weeks. And please, please, please don't forget to subscribe to Get Into My Podcast. Really, please. And just review, uh, leave a review on Apple Podcasts as well. It really helps the podcast to grow. And don't forget to follow the podcast on Instagram, Get Into My Podcast. And my Instagram as well, Oliver Wong Comedy. Well, this has been Get Into My with Oliver Wong. Let's get intimate.